Guten Morgen. <laughs> wow, that's quite an introduction. Not sure I deserve all that, but thanks. Reminds me of a story about a, a Texas rancher who had a big ranch. You know, Texans. So everything grows big in Texas. They're real proud of Texas. And he got the opportunity to travel to Germany. And when he got there, he wanted to search out other ranchers or farmers. And he found his way to a local watering hole, and he found a German farmer. And, um, of course, he just wanted to tell him how big his ranch was in Texas. And, of course, the German had just a, a small plot of land, small farm. And uh, the Texas rancher said, well, let me tell you this. My ranch is so big that I can get up in the morning before the sun rises and get in my truck. And before the sun sets, I still haven't got to the end of my property. And the humble German farmer said, Yeah, I used to have a truck like that. <laughs> so you got to be humble. <laughs> got to be humble. <laughs> Well, Neil mentioned that uh, I have a connection to the Rileys, um, Liz and Lou Gutierrez, Liz's sister, uh, Heather and I went to preschool together. It's pretty amazing how you travel around the world and things come back full circle. Um, but I am so proud and honored to be called a child of God. And if that is your heart this morning, then we are family and we can interact as brothers and sisters, this wonderful church that God's created so, I would like to just briefly introduce my family. They are not here, but um, my wife Rachel and I have three kids. Sophia in the middle, she's th- five and a half. Levi on my lap, he's three. And Noah just turned, uh, well, he's nine months. So, I got another picture. Noah's kind of like, Meh. I think he was sleeping. Well, there he is, a little bit more alert. And we live in Cologne, Germany. Cologne is located on the Rhine River. Our apartment is not too far back, about a couple blocks from, from the river. Uh, after World War II, Cologne was totally destroyed. Uh, 90% of the city was obliterated, as you can see here. But today, just 70 years later, Cologne is a very thriving city, the center of cultural arts and media, the center of uh, Germany's Next Top Model, Germany's Next Superstar, all of the media, um, TV events center in Cologne. Cologne is a place for artists. People come from all over to, to the art fairs in Cologne. Cologne is a big party city. Uh, Carnival is a huge, huge element of the culture. And we find ourselves in this city of one million people uh, in a very unique position to relate to people in a, in a, in a way through our art. And if you've never really considered or thought of Germany as a, a place that needs missionaries, the city of Cologne, we estimate, has 0.8%, less than 1% of the population are followers of Jesus, know Jesus, are involved and active in his, his mission to, to love the world. It's a place with a lot of need. And so, uh, as Neil alluded to, we opened up a pottery studio in addition to our church planning and discipleship efforts. Uh, this is a picture of the, the, the studio. It has a big storefront window. Uh, you can go to the next slide. Just I Instead of having a gallery in the front and the studio, or the workshop in the back, we flipped that so that the workshop is in the front and people can walk by and see a potter at work. 
Uh, we don't uh, go down to the potter's house like we hear in Jeremiah to buy pots. We order them online. You can get them from Ikea, um, wherever. Uh, so the studio potter, the old style, is, is it's kind of a, it's, well, it's a dying trade. But there's this unique thing happening with people's desire to not just see art, but to know how it's made. And I have more and more people coming in just very interested in seeing, wow, this is great. I want to bring my kids and see how you know, a plate is actually made. So it's been very unique. We, I teach classes, um, young and old. It's exciting to see people make something. You know, they make something that's so heavy. It's something I would probably never sell. But they're so excited about that, um, the, the creating process. And it, it's a great avenue to, to share about how I believe there's a creator that created me. You can go to the next slide. And in addition to this, we've, we've built a church or planted a church in the last six years. And uh, this young woman, Marietta, she uh, wanted to be baptized last year in February. And I said, well, that's great. We usually do our baptisms on the Rhine. Why don't, you know, we'll plan it for, you know, July or August when it's warm out. And she said, no, Dave, I, I really want to do this. And, and I'm not going to stand in the way. I'm not going to push somebody back. I and mean, if you want to be baptized, you want to make this confession of faith, let's do it. And um, we had arranged to get a, a inflatable tub to bring into our small church area that we meet in. So the water was, you know, room temperature. And Marietta said to me, she said, Dave, we can't do it. I said, why? She said, Look, my family, they're not believers. They think I'm crazy for doing this. If I don't go and get baptized in that 48-degree water, how will they know that this commitment is real? And I said, all right, we're going to the Rhine. (laughs) But let me make a call. And uh, I found some guys that gave us some full-body (laughs) wetsuits. So we're in wetsuits out there. But it was such such a joy to see this young woman uh, just want to go into the depths of that cold water and come out and tell her family, you know, I'm willing to, to risk everything for Jesus. So if you go to the next slide, this is um, maybe a little bit hard to see, but our church is about 40, 50 people now, and we meet in a, uh, sto- also in a, a storefront building. It's very difficult in the city to find a building. You can't just uh, raise money and build a new building project, uh, and you can't find a building that's big enough to house a ton of people. So we have to find places that will house enough people. And we've turned this, uh, if you go to the next slide. Oh, you can go back one. Um, I had an, another slide in my head. But um, this is where we meet. And, and people walk by and people see what's going on inside this church community. Um, so it's a very exciting, vulnerable, wonderful opportunity, especially with seeing young people come to faith um, so anyways, I wanted to talk this morning about the process of how God is at work in our lives. The, the central theme of the pottery studio is even in the brokenness, even in the damaged things, even when things go wrong, these are, this is a part of life. But God is not in the business of dismissing our, our weaknesses or our failures and and, uh, and ignoring us. In fact, he comes to us and he puts his hands on us and reshapes us into the things that please him. It's a beautiful picture um, in Psalm 40 when he says, he lifted me out of the miry clay and he gave my feet a firm, uh, he gave me a place to put my feet upon. 
and we reclaim and restore clay in the studio. And it's just so exciting to, to be able to share with people, you know, God, God knew all this. I mean, I'm, I'm just new at this, you know, the last 38 years of, of existence, and I'm doing this. But God knew this well before the foundations of the earth, that he is in the business of reclaiming. And God's at work in your life. But it's hard. It's really hard because we have insecurities. Uh, we doubt ourselves. We, uh, um, we lose sight of his vision. And that's really kind of from the very beginning. You know, Eve, what did the, what did the devil say to Eve? He said, uh, did God say that you can't eat of any tree? Um, he placed doubts in her mind. He, he hinted at ideas. You know, ah, he, God doesn't want you to be like him. Did he really do that? Did he really do that? You know, I mean, what a jerk. I mean, to just right there in the beginning come in and, and try to mess things up. But it's, it happens all the time. We have seeds of thought that uh, cause us to doubt. And uh, even the most successful people have insecurities. So what I'd like for you to do this morning, your part, is as we go through this time, I really want you to allow the Spirit to bring up in your mind some of your own insecurities, some things that you wrestle with, and maybe God wants to reveal something that you're not aware of. But I think it's really important because I want the Spirit to speak to you directly about that. I know I get insecure. I get insecure about pe- how people perceive me. I get insecure about how I'm speaking German. You know, I make a lot of mistakes. I tell, <laughs> told a man's wife once that uh, instead of saying, uh, say, say hello to your, your beautiful wife, I use the adjective köstlich which I didn't know, but it has to do with food and wine. And I basically said, well, please say hello to your delicious wife. And he, and he, he stopped and said, where did you learn that? I said, I just looked up in the dictionary. He's like, okay, that's why. But yeah, to learning a foreign language, that'll really make you feel like a, an idiot. Um, but yeah, I mean, even when I was younger, when I, you know, I, I couldn't ask a girl out unless I was like 99% sure she would say, oh, yes. I mean, very insecure. I had acne as a kid all in, into to adolescence and uh, wet the bed late into in my, you know, I was like 12. I mean, I was just, you know, I was a pastor's kid too. I mean, that'll really mess you up. Uh, <laughs> But the problem wasn't in the way that, uh, that, that girls or people saw me. The, the real issue was the way I saw myself. And uh, I believe that everything in your life is greatly affected uh, by the way you see yourself compared to the way God sees you. You're never going to get it right. I mean, you're never going to get rid of addictions. You're never going to break out of depression and live in victory. You're never going to have the kind of victory, victorious life as long as you see yourself the way you see yourself. Now, this is kind of a big concept, but I think that when, when we think about, what does God think about me when God thinks about me? We think he gets his cues from us. Like, I know what I think about me, and I know what everyone else sort of thinks about me. So God must definitely think that way about me. But he doesn't. He doesn't even care what you think about you. He's a caring God, but he's never going to take his cues from the way you feel about yourself. And so I think that there's this great passage in the book of Judges that's going to really give us a great perspective and vision. So we're going to look at this Old Testament story of Gideon. I'm sure you've, uh, you've heard of it. If you have kids, you've watched the Veggie Tales. I have kids. And sometimes 
VeggieTales is my main meat in life. <laughs> uh, but that's a good one. Of all the ones, that's a really good one. Um, I don't know if you know this story about Gideon. Uh, we're not going to read the whole story this morning. Uh, but if you'd like, this week, open up Judges 6 and just keep reading till you get to the end. It is a phenomenal story. Just this powerful, you know, hero story. It's awesome. Gideon with 300 men against 135,000 Midianites wins this victory. Um, he's, you know, he's questioning God and God is involved in his life. I mean, if you just get your hands on Judges chapter 6 and keep reading, I think you'll be encouraged. But uh, we're just going to look at, at the first part in Judges 6, uh, verse 11 through 16. Uh, Gideon, just a little uh, background here. Gideon was very insecure. He asked God three times to give him a sign to uh, confirm that God was really going to do what God said he was going to do. And um, he had this fleece that he put out as sort of an insurance policy. And it wasn't really enough. It wasn't enough for Gideon to hear from the angel of the Lord. It wasn't enough that God would would, uh, answer his prayer. He just couldn't go out into battle feeling so insecure. Uh, later on in the Gospels, I don't know if you remember, um, actually right at the moment I can't remember which Gospel, but the story of Zechariah, he's the husband of Elizabeth, who is the mother of John the Baptist, and Zechariah has this encounter with the angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord tells Zechariah what to do, and Zechariah questions the angel, and, and what happened? Wham! He took his voice. It was gone. And it always makes, uh, I always get... Um, well, I don't want to say tickled. That sounds like my grandma. But I always get a, uh, I laugh a little bit when we get to Christmas time. We hear this story because when they, when they talk about the, the Lord, the angel of the Lord came and told Joseph, get up and go to Egypt. It says they got up that night and left. And it, you, you would think that in this family, you know, their relatives, Zachariah and Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph, you think this story probably circulated around. It's like, you know what happened to Zachariah? It's like if the angel of the Lord says something to you, you better do it. And so I always laugh because I see Joseph like, mm, we're going. <laughs> but God uh, shows tremendous patience with Gideon. Um, and the part of the story we're going to read is right here in, in Judges uh, chapter 6. So I'm going to start in verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, But Lord, or my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why, why has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hands of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, But, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then Gideon said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, show me a sign that it is you who's talking to me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. 
And he said to him, I will wait until you come back. There's a couple of interesting things here. Um, I don't know if you know anything about um, threshing, but you usually thresh wheat uh, up high where there's wind. So you throw the wheat into the air and the wind separates the chaff and the wheat falls down. Well, I don't know if you know what a wine press is, but it's a pretty big thing where it's down on the ground and you stomp the grapes in it. It's like, wait a second, why is Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press? Well, in this time of war, the, the Midianites would come and they would ransack and, and steal the stores of food. So he's down in a wine press hiding, doing the uh, threshing of the wheat so they couldn't see it. So he's hiding. And this is where the angel of the Lord comes to him. And I love the way he says, he's like, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. I mean, has anybody ever addressed you that way? My wife has never said that to me. Good morning, O mighty man of valor. I was like, that would be awesome. (laughs) I I tend to get off on rabbit trails. My wife usually sits down front and does this, uh, so I know to get back onto the the topic. So if you feel like that's, uh, I'm getting off, you know, I give you permission to do that. That's very dangerous for a pastor to do. (laughs) But it's interesting. Gideon's response to this is, But sir, but Lord, why has all this happened? But Lord, but sir, I'm the weakest. I'm the least. I mean, he's acting like a wimp. And God's just come down and said, You're going to defeat the Midianite army as one man. Me, Almighty God, I'm with you. Oh, okay, well, all right, I'm not sure I understand, or I don't know what was going through his mind, but he just keeps questioning God. And, and you know, what brought this out to me in my mind was there's a huge difference in the way Gideon sees himself and the way God sees himself. I mean, how is it possible that Gideon can see himself this way and God sees him a completely different way? And that's kind of what I alluded to before, Gideon sees Gideon, but God sees Gideon, and it's, it, God has a totally different perspective. I mean, it, Paul talks about in Ephesians that we've been saved by grace and seated with God in the heavenly realms. I mean, our salvation is up there with God on, in his perspective. In the book of Revelation, God says to John, come up here higher so I can show you what I'm going to do. God has this perspective from where he is, and he's like, I see you from my perspective, and if you would just, would just come up here to where I am, this might change everything for you. So there's always going to be these, these differences between the way that you feel about yourself and who you really are. But who you really are is not determined by the way you feel about yourself or how you performed. The reason I know that is because I'm somebody else. I'm a child of the living God. I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit to the day of redemption. Free from all unrighteousness. I'm clothed in a heavenly robe. There's nothing in life or death that could ever separate me from that. And God has sealed that with me and he sealed that for you. I mean, you can walk around and say, I'm somebody else. You need to take on this attitude of who God sees us. He sees us as mighty men and women of valor. But we got to be humble. We got to be humble with that too. Like the German farmer in the beginning. You know, it, 
it's, it's dangerous to think too highly of ourselves as well. And so there's this balance there. Uh, Romans talks about that um, for the grace given to me, uh, um, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of yourselves. But it's also the other way around too. Um, insecurity and, and uncertainty, these are, these are really insulting to God if you think about it. God is the creator. He's the, he's the manufacturer. He's the potter. And in Isaiah, he says, Woe to you who strive with your master. Uh, does the clay say to the potter, What are you doing? The clay doesn't know what the potter's doing. The clay can't control what the potter's doing. God is the one creating. And when we say, Lord, I can't do that, or I don't, I, I'm not going to do that, or we, we, we get a, a sort of a false humility to, to say, no, I'm, I'm not worthy of that, and, and back away. Sometimes it feels like we're being humble. But if you're backing away from something that God wants to do in your life, then that is, I would say, very insulting to the maker. And, and the way I, I know this is because when you doubt a product, something that you buy, and you doubt it, it really says very little about the product itself. It says more about the one who created it. But look at Gideon. I mean, he, he thinks everything looks bad. Why is this happening? Why, why are all these things going wrong? Didn't the Lord say he was going to be with us? I don't know if you can relate to that. But I imagine you can. I know that I can. I know there's times in my life where I'm like, Lord, where, you know, where are you? What, what? If you are who you, or you say you are, why, why don't you heal this, this thing in my life or, or this person? Or I can see it so clearly. If you would just come and, and restore this life or help this person through addiction, I mean, the testimony that they could have then to the world around them would be so huge, Lord. Why don't you do it? Gideon, in one point, he doubts God five times in one sentence with a lot of buts, ifs, what, oh, huh. But God has to get into Gideon's mind. He's got to shift his thinking and help him see it's not about him. When I'm working with clay, um, I have to shift the clay into the, where I want it to be. You take a lump of clay, and it's spinning, and it's spinning out of center, and I have to get down, and there's pressure required. If you don't have pressure in a steady hand to center that clay, um, it won't center. And it won't center unless the clay resists. So there has to be resistance. And this is kind of a, like crazy, you know, union of contrast thing with God that he's putting his hands on our life. He wants to center us. But in order to center, we, he, there needs to be resistance. And he knows that we resist him. And it's okay because he created us and he knows that we're human. But if he would, we would trust him, and even in that resistance surrender, all of a sudden, that, that lump of clay is now spinning in a perfect circle. There have been times in my life where I've gotten away from, from where I really want to be or where my focus is with God, and I'm like, Lord, just please center me, you know, get me back to that place. And then all of a sudden, things start to go wrong in my life. And it wasn't until I created, started making pots that I realized, oh my gosh, centering requires pressure. And if you're feeling pressure on your life, but you're wanting to trust God, don't think that he's not at work. He's probably right there at work trying to strip away the parts that need to be resisted so they can get you right to where he can use you. 
Now, here's the, here's the, here's the really cool thing about this story uh, in Gideon. Uh, we're going to jump to chapter 8 and verse 4 if you want to follow along. This is really, really interesting. It, and this is just one week later from this encounter with the angel. This, this little this wimp in the wine press, Gideon, he's doing something I can't believe. I mean, he's, he's chasing down men. He's attacking with swords. He's, he's, I mean, he is just full on, you know, it's like 300, the movie 300, him and his, his men. They're just like, uh, you know, kicking and, you know, and take names. Um, he's just on fire. So listen what, listen what, what, what we read here in Judges chapter 8. He says, when Gideon came to the Jordan... He and the 300 men who were with him crossed over, exhausted, but still in pursuit. Then he said to the men of Succoth, Please give loaves of bread to the people who follow me, for they're exhausted, and I'm pursuing Zeba and Zalmunna, kings of Midian. Now, here's what the leaders of Succoth say. They're like, uh, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna now in your hand, that we should give bread to your army? So Gideon, so Gideon said, For this cause... When the Lord has delivered Zeba and Zalmunna into my hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. What? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What? Gideon? What happened to this guy? What? Just a week later. I mean, he is, you know, wanting to tear flesh with briars. I mean, what happened? Well, I'll tell you what happened. Gideon got a glimpse of who God says he is, and it changed everything. God whittled his army down to 300 men. Why did he do that? Why why would God do that? Because he said Israel would only take credit for the battle. God wanted to make it so impossible for people to even comprehend that this could happen, so that when it does happen, God would receive the glory. He gave Gideon these orders to go out into the darkness. This is, okay, this is their plan of attack. Gideon's with his 300 men. He's like, all right, um, we're going to go up and we're going we're to fight the 135,000 men. And they're like, oh my gosh. But the, Lord, but the Lord is with us. I can imagine some of those 300 guys were like, uh, okay, Gideon, I'm going to go prepare myself and say goodbye to my family. He's like, this must be a really great plan. So Gideon says, well, here's the plan. We're going to scatter. We're not going to fight together. What? Huh? <laughs> Each of you are going to take a clay jar and put a torch in it and carry it. And in the other hand, you're going to take a trumpet. Oh, wait a second. We have, where am I going to put my sword? No, no, no. You don't use your sword. What? <laughs> no, this is God's plan. We're going to go out in the darkness and make music. So they go out into the, I mean, you can just, I could just, can't even imagine what was going through those guys' heads. They've got these torches in a clay jar, and uh, they, you know, they don't hold the, the, the jar over the torch because it would let it go out, but they put it in the jar so that the light wouldn't shine down, so that way you could still be kind of uh, conspicu- inconspicuous. So they go out there, and he says, when the first horn blows, I want you to smash the jar hold up the torch, and blow your trumpets. That's our plan of attack. 
So that's what they did. And in that moment, this light everywhere shone in the darkness, everywhere, trumpets. In the darkness, you don't really know how many men are out there. Maybe the, the, the Midianites thought there were thousands and thousands of men. But it doesn't really matter because what God did was he, he turned the Midianites on each other. They, they, were, they were so confused, they started killing each other. And Gideon and 300 men, they won this huge battle. And it's amazing. <laughs> it's just amazing. Gideon won a great battle, but God received the glory. Each year in Kelowna, during Christmas time, I have a, a, an advent calendar with 24 clay jars, and I break one each day. And each day there's a little treasure like chocolate or truffles or things that um, you know, people would, would like. Um, and I give those out as a free gift to anybody walking by my shop. And um, it's always interesting because Germans are very skeptical of free gifts, and most of them just walk by and say, no, thank you. But some people do... They're just, they don't understand why anyone would ever give a free gift. And in that moment, there's times to talk about these clay jars. And, and if you want to write this down or, or skip to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, Paul, he's writing this letter uh, to the Corinthians, and he references something that I think is very interesting. Um, he says, in his letter, for we do not proclaim ourselves, we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, so that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. I don't know if that sounds familiar to you. Um, we don't have Paul's sermon notes. But I find it ironic that he referenced that. Paul was a, a scholar of God's word. But it just sounds so remarkably similar to Gideon and what Paul is re- referencing. That this treasure we have in jars of clay, it belongs to God. You know, God says that, that in him are the riches of Christ. And a lot of people will think that you know, living the right life and doing and being a, a living holy is going to earn them riches in heaven. And, and God speaks to that. He, he does speak to riches that come uh, for those who are faithful. But when Paul says this immeasurable richness that we have in Christ, I'm so compelled by the story of Gideon that God came down personally and talked to Gideon. He wanted to relate to him on a, on a one-to-one level. That's the, that's the amazing thing about our God. And, and we have this treasure. And is the treasure uh, the, the riches to come? Yes, the riches of salvation. But I believe that the treasure and the riches we have are in Christ himself, in the very person of Jesus. That's why it's so amazing for us to follow Jesus because we have this relationship with him. Um, w- before I left uh, to come to California, I, I had um, a, a rather large suitcase uh, or a big bag. I, di- I didn't fill it all, but that's the only one we had. I didn't have a smaller one. And we're driving to the airport, and Sophia, my daughter, says, Papa, your, um, 
your bag's kind of big. And I said, yeah, but uh, that, that's more room for me to bring back surprises for you, you and your brothers. Oh, well, she's good with that. <laughs> and you can imagine as we FaceTime every other day, at some point the question comes up like, oh, what, what are you going to bring me? What's the surprise? And I'm not going to tell her. I've told her that I'm bringing her a surprise, but I'm not going to tell them what it is. That would just ruin the surprise, duh. But she's anxious about that. And, you know, I was just thinking this week, I'm leaving on, on Tuesday, and I'm going home, I'm going to see my family. And yes, I've bought, you know, the surprises for them. But I know that when I get off that plane, and I have my bags, and I'm walking down the concourse, and it's a very long concourse to, to where the people can, can stand I know that at some point I'm just going to drop my bags and I'm going to run and, and get down and hold my arms out for my kids. And, and there's no TSA agent in the world that's going to be able to stop these little legs from, from running where they shouldn't be because they're going to run right to me in my arms and yell, Papa, they're not going to run past me to go look at my bag and see what are the, what are the gifts and the promises, that you, riches that you brought me. Because this relationship I have with my, with my children supersedes all other riches, even though I bring good gifts. And they're going to run to my arms and will embrace. And Jesus Christ and his person and that relationship we have is just this infinite value. And God wants you to just know that he is on your side. Even when we say, Lord, what's happening where are you? Why haven't you helped us? There's a picture, I think this last one, that I put in my window in my shop. And you can figure it out. Maybe it'll take some of you a little bit longer, but there's two ways to see that. God is nowhere. God is now here. It's an interesting balance in life because I, I experience both of those, even though I know that his word says that he's here. But I'm so thankful that God gives us this picture first of Gideon, this wimp in the wine press, questioning, uncertain. Because really, if he'd have kept that out and just shared this story about Gideon, the man with 300 men that defeated 135,000, and he tore your flesh with briars, I'd be like... I don't really don't have anything in common with this guy. And I'm really glad that, that in God's word, he introduces us to people who are weak and question and encounter suffering. And I really hope that that gives you courage that God can qualify you no matter where you are today. You are men and women of valor. I mean, isn't that an encouraging thought? We live not by what we see, but by what he says. I'd like to close with just a prayer from Paul in Ephesians. He, he ends chapter 3 with this prayer. So if you'll, if you'll pray with me, I'd just like to speak this over you. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that he would grant you, Coast Bible Church, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, 
that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all of us, all the saints, what the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ with passes knowledge that you may be filled with all fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen.